0: The reading is taken from Psalm 42, and this can be found on page 567 in your Bibles. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep Calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes, foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why is my soul? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Mike's
1: just asked for a few verses from Romans chapter 8 to be read as well. So I will read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. And then verses thirty-one to the end. Romans eight, eighteen to twenty-five. It's on page one thousand one hundred and thirty-five. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sue, which goes to prove something I've always believed, which is the, you need no excuse to bring in a bit of Romans 8. Um, what a fantastic passage. Thank you both. Beautiful psalm as well. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us this morning afresh? Your words, the words of your son are so familiar and so beautiful. Would you make them come alive for us today? Would you stir our hearts? Would you change us so that we might change the world? Amen. Amen. Well, it's a great pleasure to be um, back with you again this morning. You're beginning to acquire a habit of the 9.30, I think. You all come a bit later. So I, I, last time I looked, there were only half as many of you here. Now I look, and you're all here, which is great. Um, I, and I, I just have to add um, my, my uh, welcome and the welcome of the Carlson family to, um, to, to, to you guys, Simon and Naomi. It's just fantastic to have you uh, with us. I know we've all been saying this for two weeks now, but it is great. So um, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, and uh, and and it's been a fun week in the Carlson House with Claire preaching this same passage at the 9:30. And we decided for us we decided on a standoff actually, so we haven't talked to each other at all. So if, if if anyone's not here and ends up listening to these two sermons on on the website, it will be fascinating to hear if there's what correlation there is, or <laughs> well, whether the Lord speaks totally differently to a husband and wife in the matter of in the matter of um, one verse of scripture. Wouldn't it be just great if we had a righteous world? Wouldn't it be great if we had a righteous world? Everywhere we see the evidence of the contrary, or as a friend of mine calls it, wrongciousness. Deception, confusion, idolatry. It's an old-fashioned word which basically means slavery to things and philosophies and people. The whole world, after all, lives under the control of the evil one. 1 John 5, verse 19. That's why we have a raunchous world. What has been released on the world right now, the spirits that are released on the world right now, I think make it tougher to live in than at any time before. I think we, I think our children and our grandchildren have it tougher now than any generation has had before. It's not surprising that we ache for a restored world. We ache for a restored world. As the psalmist says, My soul longs after the Lord like the deer pants for the streams of water. As we just heard, verses 1 and 2. We are exhausted with the daily battle. It is a daily struggle for all the blessings of our modern world in this country, for all the blessings of communication and entertainment and high standard of living and all we can possibly want to eat and drink, most of us, and free health service. Wow, my goodness, we live in a wonderful world in terms of provision. But the battle is tougher than it's ever been. The psalmist remembers with bittersweet reflection how he used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Verse 4 of our Psalm. And I do this sometimes. I I I just I don't know whether it's just some sort of um, lost or wrong sense of yearning for the past, because the past wasn't always good, right? But I just, sometimes I just think, wow, it was simpler then. I don't know, I see an old movie from the 80s and I think, wow, life was simpler then. That's just the 80s. And some of you here saw the 60s. I saw the 60s. I don't remember much. But, you know, was life simpler then? Maybe it was. I think it was. I think we've got more complex and, it, and it's just tougher than it ever was. And it's not just you and me. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, what we've just heard. And by the way, if you want to, if you do want to follow it in your Bible, it, I think Romans 8 is the one to follow this morning on page 1135. And in verse 19 and onwards, Paul says this, The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to to be revealed. I think that's actually going to be our core verse of the morning, uh, as you'll see. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, what's happening here is that that God, responding to the sin of Adam and Eve in paradise. In Genesis 3, subjects creation to frustration. So he says to Adam, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Then cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Genesis three seventeen. We had had paradise and we gave it up. And creation is subjected to frustration, which leaves the whole of creation yearning for what has been lost. For what has been lost. Remember, Jesus will go on and say, the Son of Man has come to seek and save what has been lost. We often misread that as "the lost," meaning people who don't know Christ. Actually, he says, what has been lost. This is what Jesus came back to save. The whole of creation yearns for what has been lost. And Paul calls it a groaning in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's The the pains of childbirth, it's like, I'm a man. I'm not going to go here. But just to say, it's that that agony of something is, is, we're waiting for this thing. We're, We're waiting for this glorious life, but it's painful right now. It's painful right now, and it's always darkest before dawn. Paradise is lost, and all of creation wants it back. It's natural for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. More than that, Jesus says it's good. It's good. Blessed, he says, are those who do so. We sing, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I want to know what breaks the heart of God because that is what I want to hunger and thirst for. It is painful and good to hunger and thirst. There's a sense of desperation, isn't there, in this. Jesus would feel it. Jesus would feel it. His anger at the con men in the temple. His anger at the enemy trying to steal the life of the young girl. It's battle all over. Psalm 42, verse 9. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? Happily, Jesus wasn't oppressed. He had the command all the time. And so so do we, if we live in him. And we'll come back to that. But there's this sense of constant frustration, battle. We are not there yet. Creation is groaning for what has been lost. Sometimes I literally cry from the weariness. I, I don't know if this ever happens to you. It happened to me the other day. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because I used to be in the military, but I was just coming through Waterloo Station. And, um, and, and there, were, there were three uh, retired, I guess they were warrant officers or some majors, from uh, 2 Para. Uh, and they were, they, they, they were um, uh, there asking for funds for help for heroes and, and, and all of that. And um there's a Scottish battalion in two para, and so they had the guy with the pipes. You either love the pipes or hate them. I happen to love them, and, and they always stir me. And I just I went over to so one of them was playing the pipes, and the other two were looking super smart in their purple berries. I was I was like, oh, because the parrots are something else. And um and and I went up to one of them, we, we just talked and and he was telling me about the Scottish connection and, and so on. And just something stirred me. And and it's not it's not war, because war is not glorious at all. War is extremely, extremely unpleasant. But there was something, I don't know, very upright and beautiful about these men. And I just yearned for more of that. There was just something in me. Hiding. I just had to leave before I wept. And I walked down the platform just in tears for something better. Um and this just suddenly comes on me, this, this wow, we, I just long for righteousness to return. And then a voice says to me, hang on, is that really what you want? Because suppose the great judge of all were to come right now. Suppose the great judge of all were to come right now. The rule with which we measure the world is the rule that is used to measure me. The rule we use to measure the world is the rule that's used to measure me. The, um, the great 20th century author, Dorothy L. Sayers, uh, who is best known for, actually for her mystery writing, her crime writing, she was a brilliant, brilliant um, uh, theologian. And she wrote a wonderful essay called The Six Other Deadly Sins. Um, and in it, she warns against self-righteousness and, and the calling down of the judgment of God on other people. And she says, wait, I, paraphrasing, she says, do you really want justice? Is that what you really want? How will you come out if justice is meted out? How will you do in that? On a, on a, on a light note, I remember my, um, my, my, our firstborn, Lily, when she uh, went into year four at St. Faith's. And, um, and the, uh, the, the much-respected uh, Mrs. Landon, who takes that class, or did at the time. And we came back from holiday, and Lily was actually, uh, Lily was actually uh, sick for the first day. Couldn't go to school for the first day, but went for the second day. She was so looking forward to Mrs. Landon. And she got there, and she came back, and I said, Lily, how, how was your day? She said, oh, fantastic. I said, Mrs. Landon? She said, yeah, she's amazing. I said, why is she amazing? She said, because, because she, she's really strong. And really strict she's and really, she's really disciplined and, and it's wonderful and, and like, you know, she, she, she's got us. She's got us. You know, she's really tough and I love that. I said, great. Got to the end of the week. I said, how's Mrs. landlady She said, yeah, she's okay. I said, what's happened? I said, well, you know I said she's really tough. I, I said, yeah. She said, well, she's really tough with me too. <laughs> I thought, that's just an absolute classic. Right. And that, in that very beautiful way. She just brought out this whole lesson. We can yearn for justice, but what's justice going to do to me? What's justice going to do to me? There is one inescapable conclusion. Before we can truly hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world, we must first hunger and thirst for it in ourselves. Until I am righteous, how can I ever hope to survive in a righteous universe? Actually, righteousness is scary. The prophet Malachi asks, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. It's pretty hot. And Jesus very clearly suggests that not everyone will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? Blessed are those who do, implying very clearly not everyone does. And of course, we see this in spades. Right? Much of the world blinded by the gods of this age have no clue what personal righteousness looks like. No clue. And this, my friends, is the great paradox. Because there's a yearning in every human heart for this. Every human heart knows there's something missing. We all know that there is a paradise that needs restoring. We are born for paradise, and we don't have it. We don't get it. And there's something in our hearts that yearns for it. And the great French... Philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal said we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We all have a hole in our hearts, and it's God-shaped. And so until you fill it with God, it's never filled. And the world tries to fill it, and so do we if we're not careful, with all sorts of other things, with the pleasures of the world. Money, sex, and power are known as the unholy trinity, but there's more than that. It's whatever it is that you're trying to fill this heart with just will not do the trick until you fill your heart with God. Our hearts are restless, said Augustine, until they find their rest in you. Only God can fill the hole that is in our hearts. Everything else is an idol and will leave us deeply dissatisfied. And even for the believer, there's a danger. So I was challenged recently when a speaker asked, do you really want revival? We say we want revival. Do you want it? Because it's going to shake us all up. When Jesus starts to come and when the Holy Spirit starts to really do his work, it shakes us all up. And we lose some of these crutches that we've got, that we're used to, that we quite like. Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want? Extraordinary thing to ask a blind man. He's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, What do you want? And when I first read that as a young one, I thought, what a daft question. You know, with respect. I mean, obviously, it's obvious what he wants, but of course, what Jesus is saying is, Do you really want your sight back? Because actually, he he, he worked it all out. He knew how to beg, and kind of he was okay, right? He was, you know, and Jesus just wanted to check that. What do we really want? I'm doing, thank you, very well. I'm doing very well. I'm okay. I've adapted. I've adapted to the world around me. I've adapted to the world around me. But even when I get over that, and I realize that I do want righteousness in my heart, then then we have Luther's problem. So the great Martin Luther, the great reformer, to whom we all owe so much, was reading Romans 3. And he got to verse 20. And he read, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And he's holding this burden, saying, I can't be declared righteous. and All I am is conscious of my sin. And in a state approaching depression, he read on, and in the very next verse, he reads, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed. And he goes, oh, no that's even worse, right? The last thing I now need is to see God's righteousness just to make me realize how sinful I am. I know it already. And then, of course, he read on. He read on. He realized that the righteousness from God is a righteousness that God gives us, a righteousness that God gives us. There's a beautiful translation of this. Um, If you ever get hold of the bible in pidgin english it is absolutely magnificent to read these theological uh, treatises, just written in pidgin english and this piece is written god he spick him all right all right spelt o-l-r-i-t-e god he spick him all right in other words he pronounces us righteous God makes me righteous. He declares me righteous. I don't have to find my righteousness from anywhere else. Jesus says to the blind man, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well, Luke 18, 42. And so he does to us. Receive your justification. Your faith has made you righteous. First, of course, we have to answer. So the blind man asks, Lord, that I may receive my sight. What do you want? Lord, I want to receive my sight. Jesus says to us today, what do you want? We say, Lord, I want to be righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is the deep hunger that Jesus speaks of. This is what he's saying on the hill. He's saying, if you ask me, For the righteousness that you need inside of you, I will give it to you. And I alone can do this. Because I'm going to take the cross, and by taking the cross, I'm going to pay the penalty. By paying the penalty, I'm going to give you the righteousness that you need to live as a beacon in this world. Before I can see the world made righteous, I must first see myself made righteous. And then it is well with my soul. And then I am filled. And then I look out at a broken and needy world and I hear God's promise. God's promise of one day the restoration of all things. And I can look forward to that. And actually I can do more than that. I can usher it in. In God's time, of course, but let's go back to Romans 8. Just one verse earlier in verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. If we truly hunger and thirst for our own righteousness and find it in Jesus... Then, and only then, we are children of God. Now, we can argue till the cows come home whether Paul meant this this revealing of the children of God to be a scatological and end times and all of this, um, and at the restoration itself. But but a few verses later, in the Sermon on the Mount, only, um, I think it's verse 19, I've lost it, but a few verses later, he encouraged us to stand firm, um, sorry, a few verses later, I beg your pardon, a few verses later in Romans, I'm sorry, 8.36, he encouraged us to stand firm through hardship. He says, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's time to be revealed, to stand up for Jesus Christ and his kingdom, to become more than conquerors. Amen. As Jesus does say a few verses later in the Sermon on the Mount, to be the light of the world: Receive my justification. Be revealed as children of God. Stand up for me and my kingdom. Be more than conquerors. Be the light of the world." So let's begin with ourselves. Let's begin with our own domains, our own hearts, our families, our work, our communities. Let's declare as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The great return, the great restoration begins right now. The kingdom of God comes through the hearts of his people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen.